All right. Can you hear me? All right. Okay. We'll go. Good to go. All right. Every week in Taiwan, I do this exact same thing. Watch this. Okay. Okay. Thanks again for having us. It's great to be here. So this morning, we're going to continue uh, your study in looking at the elements of worship. And as uh, Josh already mentioned, this morning we're going to look at supplication. So to nerd out for a little bit, supplication comes from the Latin word, which basically means to plead humbly. It describes how when you go to someone with a deep, heartfelt need or desire. And so for Christians, supplication describes bringing our needs or our desires humbly to God in prayer. So the psalm that we're going to look at today, Psalm 86, it's a psalm of David. And in it, David comes to God with a ton of requests. The main one is that David, uh, his life will be spared because he has enemies after him. Now, maybe today you need God to save your life. Maybe your need or desire is something else. But all of us in our own life, to use the circles that Josh has talked about, in our own life, in our relationships, in our city, in our world, have needs and desires. And this psalm is going to show us what to do with those. So let's look together at Psalm 86. I'm going to read it, and then I'll pray for us, and then we'll jump right in. Psalm 86, a prayer of David. Incline your ear, O Lord, and answer me, for I am poor and needy. Preserve my life, for I am godly. Save your servant who trusts in you. You are my God. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for to you do I cry all the day. Gladden the soul of your servant, for to you, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. For you, O Lord, are good and forgiving, abounding in steadfast love to all who call upon you. Give ear, O Lord, to my prayer. Listen to my plea for grace. In the day of my trouble, I call upon you, for you answer me. Verse 8. There is none like you among the gods, O Lord, nor are there any works like yours. All the nations you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name. For you are great and do wondrous things. You alone are God. Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. I give thanks to you, O Lord, my God, with my whole heart, and I will glorify your name forever. For great is your steadfast love toward me. You have delivered my soul from the depths of Sheol. O oh God, insolent men have risen up against me. A band of ruthless men seeks my life, and they do not set you before them. But you, O oh Lord, are a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Turn to me and be gracious to me. Give your strength to your servant and save the son of your maidservant. Show me a sign of your favor that those who hate me may see and be put to shame because you, Lord, have helped me and comforted me. Let's pray. 
Jesus, thank you that you hear our prayers. Bring to our minds our needs and desires so that we would know how to bring them to you. And please speak to us this morning that would be shaped in your image for your glory. Amen. All right. So last summer, no, two summers ago was the last time that my family and I were in the U.S. And we came because in Taiwan, everything was locked down because of COVID. So we're working remotely anyway. And we wanted to take the opportunity to see our family while we're working remotely. But <clears throat> while we were in the U.S., Taiwan changed its re-entry policy. And so overnight, our four-week trip turned into a four-month trip. And we were stranded in America. I remember I was lying in bed and I couldn't sleep. I was totally stressed out. And I was praying every day that God would help us get a plane ticket, a quarantine hotel reservation to get back home. I was thinking about the people in our church. I was thinking about what was happening in the church. And I wanted more than anything to be back there. But every week, I prayed. And every week, our situation stayed the same. No plane ticket. No way to get back. And it seemed like no matter how hard I prayed, God never answered. Okay, here's, here's the weird thing. Every day, all over the world, people pray. Today, in our neighborhood, there are people burning paper money to the gods, asking for things they want and need. But for us, for modern people, prayer is difficult. I think for many of us, prayer feels unnatural. Uh, we get frustrated because we feel like it doesn't work. But then we have this tension because the Bible is filled with commands to pray. The Psalms are a book of prayer. Paul in the New Testament, he says, pray without ceasing. So how do we do that? How do we pray like David prays? How do we build a spiritual foundation that allows us to actually bring our needs and requests to God? This passage will show us that foundation. So whatever your needs are, whatever your desires are, this passage is going to equip us to bring them to God. So we're going to ask three questions about this passage. If you're taking notes, you have three points. Three questions to help us build this foundation. First, why don't we pray? And then, how should we pray? And last, why can we pray? Why don't we pray? How should we pray? Why can we pray? So first, why don't we pray? So if you look at the passage, it's clearly a prayer of supplication. It's a supplication psalm because it's full of requests. For example, if you look at verses one to six, David says things like, incline your ear, preserve my life, be gracious to me, gladden the soul of my heart, and last one, give ear to my prayer. So he's clearly asking. But the key to understanding why David can pray like that <clears throat> and why we don't is in verse seven. And verse seven says, in the David says, 
In the day of my trouble, I call upon you for you answer me. David says he prays because God answers his prayers. Okay, so right here is where the difficulty comes in for us. Um, I remember one time my family was sitting around the dinner table, and I don't even remember what we were talking about, but there was some problem, like in our family or the church or something. And I said, let's pray about it. And one of my kids very honestly goes, why? Prayer doesn't change anything anyway. <laughs> and that's it. I mean, we are all that person. We don't pray because we don't believe that God answers our prayers, at least most of the time. Okay, and actually, it's really tricky because we know that sometimes, apparently, God didn't answer David's prayers either. Like in 2 Samuel 12, there's this place where David's son gets really sick, and David is praying and fasting, and then his son dies. So here, David says, I pray because God answers my prayers. But it seems like God doesn't answer him. So what does David know that we don't? The short answer is, David knows that God always answers our prayers, but God's answers are both perfect and powerful, okay? Or you could say it this way, David knows that God always answers our prayers, but God's answers are always personal and powerful. Okay, so here's what I mean. So if you step back and look at the text, in the psalm, the most commonly used word in the English is the word Lord. Um, it shows up nine times in the first 12 verses. But the English translation hides something that's happening. There's actually two different Hebrew words that are translated as Lord in this psalm. So the first one, Lord, with just the capital L, is the Hebrew word Adonai. So this is verse 3, 4, 5, for example. And this name of God refers to God and his status as sovereign ruler. It's kind of like calling someone Mr. President, right? Or your highness. But then in places like verse one or verse six, you see capital L-O-R-D with the four capital letters. That's the Hebrew word Yahweh, which is God's personal name. Like when God's talking to Moses and Moses says, who should I tell the people who sent me? And God says, tell the Israelites, I am Yahweh, the Lord, God of their fathers. Because here's what David's doing. He's got this prayer. And by blending these two names together, back and forth all the time, David's showing us that he knows God is totally in control as the sovereign of the universe, of everything that happens. But he is also intimately invested in David's life like a father or like a friend. See, David knows that God sees exactly what we need and he can provide anything. I guess it came like this. Um, the other day, I'm in the store, grocery store with my son and we're leaving and we walk by, it's like the claw game. You know, you put in the quarter and like the claw goes down and grabs the stuffed animal. And he's like, dad, can we play that? And I was like, dude, this is a scam. You're going to put your money in. You're going to play for 10 seconds and you're going to be out a quarter. And if we, I could go to the store and use two quarters and buy that same thing. So I told him no. And on the one hand, you could say, I denied his request. 
I didn't answer his request. But then on the other hand, if you look at it from my perspective, if he could see what I could see, if he knew what I knew, he would be so thankful that I said no. <laughs> if he understood his life and his desires as intimately as I understand his desires, he would say, wow, dad, thanks so much for not letting me waste my time and my money on this stupid thing. That's how God is with us. See, God knows exactly what we need. And he has the power to give us that thing. So he always gives us what we need. He always answers our prayers, but he answers them better than we ask. So you think like this, you know, I was going back to when I was stuck in the U.S. and I felt like God wasn't answering my prayers. Because we got stuck in the U.S., I was able to get ordained. My wife was able to get some major health issues sorted out after years of difficulty. And perhaps most importantly, God really showed me some huge issues going on in my own heart that needed to be dealt with. So, like, as I look back, it's obvious that my wife's health, my ordination, my heart issues were way more important than getting back to Taiwan. If I could have seen things from God's perspective, I would have been praying for those things. And I've been praising God that we were stuck in the U.S. But I just couldn't see it from his perspective. And we can't. That's, that's the reality. But in our lives, we have these needs, we have these desires, and we have to bring them to God. And we do that because we trust that God always answers our prayers, but he answers them better than we ask. He answers them powerfully and personally. Before we move to the next one, I have to say, it does not always feel like that. Like, we cannot always know why God is doing what God's doing. We cannot see the best thing. But we know it's true. And I'll give you one more example for this. You think about Peter. And he's looking up at Jesus on the cross. And I am sure that Peter, because he's a devout Jew, had been praying for years, at least, that Jesus was going to usher in the kingdom of God. And then here's Jesus, the man that Peter thought was going to end the Roman rule, establish his God kingdom on earth, being killed by the Romans. And Peter's saying, God, why didn't you answer my prayer? Why didn't you bring in the kingdom of God? What good could come out of this? But then, I mean, on the cross, Jesus purchases salvation for all of his people. Through the cross, Jesus establishes his eternal reign over this world. So God was answering Peter's prayer, but infinitely better than Peter could understand. And so God does that for our prayers too. Bring your prayers to God. Okay, but what's that look like, practically speaking? How should we actually pray? Well, in the next section, uh, verses 8 to 13, 
David revisits some of the themes about God's power and his personal involvement. So, for example, in the first part, he talks about how there's no God like God and that all the nations will worship God. And then at the end, he talks about God's deliverance, how he's proven his steadfast love. But in the middle of all this, David makes one single request in verse 11. And this is the key for understanding how we should pray from this psalm. So verse 11, David says, teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. Okay, so David is using this image of walking, uh, the image of a journey to converse with God. And here's the big idea. David understood that prayer is a journey, not a destination. So how should we pray? We should pray like we are on a journey with God. Um, when you just think about any kind of relationship, this makes a lot of sense. Like if I go on a date with my wife and the goal of my date is to talk at my wife, that's a problem, right? I talk with my wife because talking is the means I use to connect with her, okay? Saying words toward her is not the goal. Talking is the journey, not the destination. Um, Paul Miller, he talked about this. Uh, Pastor Josh said you guys are, a lot of you guys are reading Paul Miller's new book. And in a praying church, he talks about how prayer is not really one part of the Christian life. You know, like here's evangelism and here's discipleship and here's Bible study and here's prayer. It's more like prayer is the power that we then do all these other things. Uh, or you can think about like a body, like you have all these organs in your body and blood is not actually an organ. Like blood is the thing that powers all the organs. So prayer is like that. So prayer, supplication, it's the, it's the way, it's the means, it's the path that we connect to God. It's how we share our hearts with him. You could say it's the tool we use to draw near to God and to be shaped by God. See, so how should we pray? We should pray like we're on a journey. And this has two practical, at least two practical implications for how we pray. Okay, so first, this, if we have this idea that prayer is a journey or we're on a journey with God, this is how we pray without ceasing, like Paul talked about. Um, okay, so going back to my son in the store. So we're at the store. It's just the two of us. And he talked a lot. Um, he talked about all kinds of things. But he just shared what was on his heart. And that communication is really what connected us. See, when he's telling me what he's thinking, what he's feeling, his needs and desires, and everything else, and then hearing how I respond, that's him drawing near to me and then being shaped by me. See, if, if we see that talking to God is about telling God what's on our hearts, then we'll pray without ceasing because we always have things going on in our hearts. Um, I feel kind of bad jumping to the New Testament again, but so in, in James, the book of James, James says, the reason you don't have what you want is because you don't ask for it. And his point is, 
There's nothing too big or too small to ask God for. So I, I think another thing we run into as modern people is like, sometimes we just don't bring stuff to God because we think it's not worth God's time or God's too busy for that thing. When we do that, we're basically trying to be holier than the Bible. And like, that's not a good idea. You could pray for the weather. You could pray for a parking spot. You could pray for healing. You could pray for an end to war. And there's nothing that's too big or too small for God. And when David says, unite my, unite my heart to fear your name, he's talking about being shaped by God. And that happens through bringing his requests and desires to God. So if it's a journey, that means we're always talking. Anything that's on our hearts is going to God. But then second, if we're on a journey, if prayer is this journey of being shaped by God and knowing God, then we're also trying to see the world as God sees the world. So this is the second application. Like We should look to see what God is doing through our prayers. Um, okay, for example, one more time going back when I was stuck in the U.S., like, in retrospect, I can now see that God was working on me and in my life while I was stuck. And so I could just say, I prayed and God didn't answer me. But that's not really true. If I said that, it just means I was not willing or able to see what God was doing. I couldn't see my life or that situation from his perspective. But if I try to, oftentimes I can't. And this, this applies to like small things too. Like, like the other day, I was running late for a meeting and I couldn't find my keys, my car keys, because we were like staying with other people and like borrowing different cars. And I was like, Jesus, please show me where these keys are. And as soon as I prayed that, I remembered where they would be. Okay, no, no, that in itself is cool. That's a cool thing. But what if praying is a journey, being shaped by God, knowing God? The, the more important question is not, did God help me find my keys? But what was God doing when he did that? And I think he was reminding me that I care for you even in the smallest, most trivial things. And that's pretty cool. He's saying, I'm going to help you find these right now because I want you to know that you, even your smallest things are important to me. That's what God's doing through this prayer. Uh, or one more, one more example on the big picture scale. So there's this past, there's sort of this pastor, it was like back in the 70s, and he was visiting church leaders in Lebanon. And at that time, this is the 70s. So the Syrians invaded Lebanon. And there's these like checkpoints and armed guards everywhere. And it was, it was not a good situation. So this U.S. pastor, he meets with this Lebanese church leader, and this church leader is literally risking his life to share the gospel with these Lebanese soldiers, or these Syrian soldiers. And the pastor's like, how can you be so reckless? What makes you so bold? And so this Lebanese Christian goes, pastor, I prayed for years that God would take the gospel to the Syrians. And now God has brought thousands of Syrians to me. How can I not respond when God answers my prayer? 
So in, 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 in verse 9, David says, All the nations you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name. And, and David's not just talking about some future thing. Like David knows God is doing something in that moment, even if he can't see how God is working through it. So when David says, teach me your way, it's not, it's not just about like learning some specific commandments or living a moral life. It's about seeing the world as God sees it. And prayer brings us to a place where we can do that. You are on a journey with God. And prayer is entering into that journey. When we bring our requests to him, supplication, we have the opportunity to see his work and his will in our lives and in the world. And it's better than we could imagine. Okay, so let me ask this. What desires are on your heart? And then what would it look like to see the world as God sees it? That is the journey of prayer. But very, uh, but briefly, last part. Why can we pray like this? What makes Christian prayer different than all the other prayers in the world? What makes biblical prayer unique? Um, so in the last section of the psalm, David comes to the climax of his prayer. And he says, a band of insolent men have risen up against me. So that's like the big problem. But then at the end, in verse 16, he writes, Turn to me and be gracious to me. Give strength to your servant and save the son of your maidservant. That's the request. But last verse, show me a sign of your favor. That those who hate me may see and be put to shame because of you, Lord. Sorry. Because you, Lord, have helped me and comforted me. This is the big difference between biblical prayer and all other prayer, especially supplication, prayers of request. David says, show me a sign of your favor because you have helped and comforted me. David can ask anything of God because God has already chosen to love and accept and bless David. Um, it's kind of, okay, in, in the book of Esther, um, Esther is the queen of Persia, she's a, but she's a Jew. And then she learns that there's this plot to wipe out the Jews. And the king is the only one who could stop this from happening. But the thing is, Esther could only go talk to the king if the king summons her. And so if anyone, including the queen, goes into the king's chambers without being summoned, they'll be executed, put to death, unless the king holds out his scepter, showing that he has given them special favor. And no one knows if the king's going to decide to do that or not. So in the book of Esther, in order to save her people, she decides she's going to go see the king. She opens the door, walks to the front of the room, and kneels before the king. And then the climax of the whole book, the king holds out his scepter, and he gives favor and access to the queen. And then she can ask. So David's saying, we pray because God has already given us favor and access. We can ask because God has already chosen to love and welcome us. 
So there's nothing too big or too small. Now, David knew that he had access to God because of God's promises to David. But we have a greater sign of God's favor. Um, so when Jesus was on the cross, he calls out to God. It is historically the expression of the deepest need and desire of all time. And God turned away from Jesus. You see, Jesus is the only one in all of history who perfectly walked with God. He is the only one who perfectly believed that God always answers our prayers. He's the only one who could see what God was doing perfectly because Jesus was God. But on the cross, God removed his favor from Jesus so that when we put our faith in Jesus, we can receive that favor. All other religions, all other kinds of prayer go like this. Because I've done enough or worked hard enough, God owes me. Because of my moral behavior or my religious practices, those things are the sign that lets me know I have access to God. But the Bible says Jesus' death and resurrection is the ultimate sign of God's favor for us. It's the sign that tells us God hears all our prayers. God welcomes all our prayers and that God answers all our prayers better than we could hope or imagine. So when you feel like prayer is unnatural, or difficult, look to the sign of Jesus. When you feel like prayer is useless and not working, look to the finished work of Jesus. When you doubt that God's help is really there for you, look to the journey that Jesus took up the hill to the cross, to eternal sufferings, for your sake. See, because when we see that, there'll be no doubt. It'll be a joy to walk on the journey of prayer with God. And we continue that no matter what need or desire is on our hearts. So let's take that with us this week. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you that you are the one who stands between us and the Father, giving us access. Jesus, please bring to our hearts the things that we want and need and help us to, in turn, bring those to God, that we might see his work and know his grace this week. Jesus, I pray. Amen.